RadioInfluence.com. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Sinner Inside. My name is David Penzer. We are so glad, as always, you are here to listen to this thing we call a podcast. So, this drops the Monday after WrestleMania, and I will still be in New York City. This is being taped the Wednesday before WrestleMania, so I could pretend that I had a great time in New York City, saw a lot of great friends, got a lot of uh, people that are going to do sitting ringside, uh, that I had a great time watching the Hall of Fame and that it was a great WrestleMania, but uh, I'm not going to do that. We're, we're, we're realistic. So this is being taped the Wednesday before WrestleMania, and I'm leaving tomorrow uh, morning to go up there. So we'll have a full report of the whole weekend uh, next week. What, what I thought about WrestleMania, I'm not going live, but I'll catch it, uh, at least catch the highlights. Um, Hall of Fame, uh, who we got to uh, talk to, and if we, uh, I'm going to try to get some interviews for this podcast as well. So some quick uh, bites and sound bites. So uh, we'll talk about that next week, but didn't want to just come on on a Monday morning after WrestleMania and pretend like WrestleMania and the whole weekend didn't happen. So uh, just keeping it real. It's uh, the way that the podcast world works. Hell, the one that I was on, the Talk is Jericho I was, episode I was on was taped, I think, six months ago, and it just dropped last week. So uh, we're, we're, at least we're only a, uh, a week behind. But uh uh, I know that Chris has a lot of content, and good for him. So I am excited, though, speaking of WWE and WrestleMania and all that, I am excited that next week uh, we'll be having Charles Robinson on the show as a guest. I was able to make that work, and I'm very, very excited about it. Um, guy has had a hell of a run, uh, WCW, and then went to WWE and has never looked back. He looked exact- He looks exactly the same as he did 25 years ago, which really pisses me off. You know, Jimmy Hart looks so young. Jerry Lawler looks so young. And uh, Charles Robinson looks so young. And the one thing about all those guys is they never drank any alcohol and they never did any drugs. Now, and I didn't do drugs, but I certainly drank and I still do. Uh, so I just wonder if um, if that helps to uh, if that helps to keep you looking young or if that's just a coincidence that those three who all looks, look 20 years younger than they are. Now, I'll have to find out about Tori Wilson. I don't know if Tori Wilson drinks. I think she has a glass of wine every now and then. But uh, but she looks fantastic as well. Congratulations on her induction in the Hall of Fame, uh, as well as all of the talent that went in this past weekend. Uh, very excited. It's one of my, as everybody knows, it's probably my favorite event. Not going to be able to go this year, but I will be watching it on the WWE Network. And like I said, Charles Robinson on the show next week. Uh, not only does he have some amazing stories to tell about living his dream, sort of like I did. He got to live his to the next level with the WWE, and we'll talk about that. But I want to go back and talk about what he was thinking about being Little Nate. Uh, you know, he he was a huge Ric Flair fan, still is a huge Ric Flair fan, and patterned himself a little bit as a referee and his look after Ric Flair and was able to not only live his dream as a referee and be a part of the business for so many years, but to live his dream as being a, a talent uh, as, as a tag team partner to his hero. So I'm really excited about delving into that and um, 
if you listen to this and you have any questions uh, that you'd like me to ask for Charles Robinson, uh, be sure to hit me up on Twitter. Uh, Twitter's been going crazy, and I'm enjoying uh, the action on Twitter lately. It's at David Penzer. It's, uh, the podcast is at Penzer Ringside. But uh, if you want to hit me up, it's at David Penzer, all one word. And um, got a lot of questions that we used from fans last week for Brian Nobbs and got a couple questions that we're going to use this week for our guest this week who's coming up in just a few moments Cowboy James Storm who I've always wanted to interview so we finally was able to snaggle him and get him on the podcast and uh, if you have any questions for Charles Robinson be sure to uh, hit me up on Twitter happy to ask the questions that you want to hear and that's what we're here for telling stories answering questions and talking uh, people's careers. And uh, to those who just might have found this podcast because of my appearance on Talk is Jericho, I want to welcome you and hope that you will continue to subscribe and encourage you to go back. We have a treasure trove of hundreds of hours of interviews with amazing talent, some not as well-known, but well-known behind the scenes, some like a Gary Jester who is... uh, has an incredible story behind the scenes as an event promoter uh, and is currently was able to promote the show this past uh, weekend at Madison Square Garden for Ring of Honor. And uh, and people, uh, you know, like Scott Hall and Terry Funk and, and just the sky's the limit of, of the hours that we have of content. So if you're going on a long drive or uh, you want to kill a weekend and you want to hear some cool content, uh, check out uh, our podcast on the iTunes and see all the different wrestlers and talent that we have interviewed because it's quite a huge who's who of professional wrestling. And you never know, your favorite wrestler might be there and uh, you might be able to hear the stories uh, that they tell on this podcast but we thank you for joining us if you're new and uh we hope we can keep you here by doing great interviews like the one we're about to have with a man who doesn't do a lot of podcasts very few podcasts and we finally was able to twist his arm and get him to come and be a part of city ringside i'm talking about former tna multi-time champion and a good guy cowboy james storm welcome to city ringside All right, my guest this week on City Ringside is TNA Wrestling Staple. I'm talking about Cowboy James Storm, although he's no longer there, and we'll talk about that and his whole career. Uh, I want to remind you, we talked to Brian Nobbs last week, and James Storm will be part of the Legends of Wrestling in Detroit uh, on Saturday, April 20th. Big lineup, Ric Flair, Booker T., Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Bret Hart, Rikishi, and Cowboy James Storm will be part of the fun. James, you know, the reason that I know you're a staple in TNA Impact Wrestling, other than the obvious that I follow the business, is because uh, I came and went and came and went and, you know, had a five-year run and then a six-month run and a one-year run. And I always got a front, I always got to see you and chat with you because, uh, as you know, you were the only wrestler who, uh, who dressed in the announcer's closet. So that's why I always, <laughs> I could always see it. Do you, uh, we had like a little closet with a washer and dryer and, uh, and, and, uh, you were always there in the corner. And, uh, uh, so we got to chat and there's always fun chatting with you. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, and thank you for being on. I appreciate your time. Uh, yeah, no problem. I'm assuming you grew up a wrestling fan. Uh, if so, was, was that more of a Memphis, uh, Continental Wrestling, Mid-South Wrestling fan, the territories, or more of an NWA, WWF fan? 
No, it was uh, you know, it was more about USWA wrestling. Sure. Uh, you know, with uh, Jeff, Jeff, Dad, Jared, Jarrett, and stuff because they would always do the Memphis Loop and then Nashville and then Louisville. And uh, and I would just remember my grandfather taking me up all the time to the Nashville fairgrounds and watching uh, the USWA, you know, with Bill Dundee and Lawler and, uh, you know, Dutch Mantel and all these guys. And it's always funny because I tell everybody, really, everybody who's who was anybody, especially during the Attitude Era, came through USWA at that time. You know, Undertaker, uh, Steve Austin. Uh, Sting, you know, all these guys came through and, and, uh, I was lucky enough to see them, you know, back in uh, the USWA days. Well, yeah, they were one of the last territories. So when people were looking to hone their craft, uh, that was one of the last places to go and they didn't pay a lot of money. Guys were sleeping in their cars, but the opportunity to wrestle every night in a different town, which was rare by then, uh, it was, was an opportunity that so many guys took advantage of. And that's cool that, that you got to take advantage of that as a fan by seeing them because you're absolutely right. So many of the guys, you know, would do Memphis and, uh, and, and, you know, before they got a break, just to hone their craft um i saw that you oh i wanted to ask you a question did you ever and if at one point did you figure out that nashville and all the other towns were a week behind memphis <laughs> no no you know i was uh you know i never really paid attention to that because you know i was eight nine years old i actually still have a i have a polaroid picture when i was six years old of me and dutchman tail <laughs> wow so that uh, that I showed him when he came to Impact Wrestling, and uh, and I said, "Yeah, you charged me ten dollars." He says, "Well, I should charge you ten more for still having it." <laughs> well, he's been a guest on this podcast. I love Dutch; he's hilarious, uh, one of the funniest guys in the business, actually. And uh, yeah, it, it, I didn't know for the longest time, but uh, Nashville was always, and Louisville, and all those were always like a week behind. So in Memphis on a Monday. Uh, like a guy could have turned babyface on Saturday TV and for Monday night, but by the time they'd get the following Saturday in Nashville, they were still a heel. So it's amazing. Uh. That, no, it's amazing that nobody uh, were, was able to put that together. You know, you know, there was no internet and or anything. But you'd think that you know, if a fan maybe went to Memphis uh, uh, to on vacation and they went to the TV tapings and they saw something, then they went to Nashville when they got home to the house show at the fairgrounds, you'd think that they would have uh, figured it out, but it really was a, a very uh, good kept secret. Uh, I did not you know that, that had to be one of the best times to work in days like that, when you didn't have to worry about the internet and spoilers and, and all that stuff like that. You know, I, I can only imagine working, you know, back in those days with those guys. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've talked about it before on this podcast, but back then, you know, the wrestling observer was such a big deal because it was the first uh, place that you could actually find out either as a fan or a part of the business or both, you could actually find out, you know, what was going on and, and who was under this hood and if these guys were really <laughs> brothers and stuff, you know, and it was, it was really cool, uh, when it came out because every week you, you just, as a wrestling fan or even wrestler, you know, every wrestler would, uh, would say they didn't read, uh, the kayfabe sheets and I would say 95% oh, of them were totally full of crap. Uh, oh yeah. And I was one of them. Like I always thought it was like, you know, it was against the rules, and it was I was doing something bad when I was reading it because I remember like riding with Wolfie and them, and and they would have it, and I'd be like, "What is this?" And they'd be like, "Don't tell nobody you have it." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Okay." <laughs> 
Yeah, when I was at WCW, I would only read it at home. I never even put it in my in my briefcase because I didn't want anybody to see it because you get so paranoid. And then you find out the whole front office not only is reading it, but they're leaking shit to Meltzer that they want him to report. Right. That's great. We've talked yep. about that before. It's crazy when you look back on stuff. Hey, I don't remember you. Uh, and according to uh, the Internet, this is a fact. And of course, the internet internet never, never lies. But uh, apparently, you were a part of a WCW development uh, developmental at the very end. I don't recall WCW having a developmental. Was that a Chris Canyon deal, as they said? No, that was uh, that was actually more of a Burt Prentice deal because it was one of the things where, uh, and I remember because uh, you, you know they they had a, a lot of the guys from the power plant that used to come up and 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 work at. Uh, at Burt's show and stuff in Nashville. And, uh, it was just one of those things. I think what happened was they, they was hiring these security guards to play security up there. And I think one of them didn't know how to bump. And I accidentally, accidentally bumped into Hogan's leg and like hurt his knee or something. Oh geez. And then, so they turned, they turned to Burt for workers. And so that's how like me and myself, like AJ Styles, Chris Harris, Abyss, all of us started going up there as R&B security. And so we started doing that. And then they started like putting some, they put AJ, I remember they put AJ and Air Paris on the contract as Air Raid at the time. Yep. I so was, uh, I was actually, was a bunch of, Big Bully Douglas was one of them. Even Mike Rapata was one of us. And I just remember like, we, we would, we wouldn't call ourselves the R&B team. We would just say we were the run and bump team. That was, that was, that was the whole thing. It was because it was Russo and Bischoff team or right. what it was. Right. I forgot about that. R&B security for sure. Uh, yeah, I was actually part of the booking committee back then and, uh, big, big, big fan <laughs> inside, big fan inside the booking committee of, uh, the Air Paris tag team. And I felt bad for them when the whole, you know, I felt bad for me, hell, but when the whole thing fell apart, but they were just get, starting to get a little bit of an opportunity. And I don't know whatever happened to Air Paris, but it all worked out for AJ. Uh, how did you feel when the whole thing went away and shut down? And, you know, were you like, this is my shot or just uh, going to keep on rolling and see what happens? Yeah, no, I, you know, I didn't think of it as like my shot just because, you know, I, yeah, I had some matches on Worldwide and uh, and that stuff, but uh, but I mean, as much as it was fun to be out there in that arena and wrestling against, because I remember we wrestled against Chronic, we wrestled Three Count. I mean, we wrestled a lot of the guys, and uh, <clears throat> and when it shut down, it was just one of those things like uh, I had just sh- like quit my shoot job <laughs> like a month earlier too, right? And I was like, oh no. And so, but my uncle, he was actually running a, a construction uh, business at the time. So I just went to work for him and then uh, it wasn't long. And then Jared and them called me and said, Hey, we're doing tryouts up here for a new promotion. I want you to come up here and try out. Cause we need like a, a Southern style, like talker and stuff. And uh, like a cowboy type deal. I was like, all right, I'm on my way. So, so, t- and so they, go ahead. So tell me about that. The beginning of TNA and you look back all these years, Quite frankly, it's amazing that it lasted as long as it has. Uh, and um, I think it lasted longer than WCW in hindsight. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. But what was it like looking when you look back at the beginning in Huntsville and then the pro- moving to Nashville and the issues that they had? What was the morale in the locker room? What was, was everybody excited, nervous? Tell me about that back in the day. You know, I, 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 think, uh, I think a lot of the boys, especially – you know, that, that I were around, you know, like, like AJ and, uh, Elix Skipper and, 
you know, all these guys, like we, we just kind of kept our, our nose to the ground and just kept wrestling. Like we didn't worry about what really what the internet was saying about, Oh, it's only going to last this long or this long or, you know, because I, I remember like Jeff being uh, pretty straightforward to everybody, like in meetings that we would have and, and, and tell him like how the company was going and, you know, if the company was hurting and stuff. And I always give big props to Jeff for like just shooting and telling the guys, look, this week's going to be a little rough. Like, you know, we're, we're trying to pull this all together, but if we don't get this financing here, like we're going to be shut down soon, you know? So, but yeah. I mean, to the guy's credit, we went out there and no matter what, we gave 110%. So. I give them credit because the guys would rather you be honest with them than bullshit. And 99% of the promoters in the business are bullshitters. So uh, I, I def- definitely give – I didn't know that. That's interesting. I give Jeff props for being honest in a in a business that's not always honest. How How is – once you guys got rolling and, 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 and it looked like uh, it was actually, you know, going to – something was going to happen, uh, how was the vibe in Nashville – and then I was up there, I think, once and uh, hung out with Kurt Hennig, and he was ribbing somebody hiding their check or something. And it looked like it was a really <laughs> looked like it was a really good locker room back then in Nashville. Am I right? It was. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun because you know you had the you had the, the like you know the former WWE or WCW guys that they would bring in that were on top or whatever. But then you would have the undercard made up of guys who are basically all on top now, but you know, that was there to prove that they belonged there because I think a lot of people didn't didn't believe that, uh, you know, guys like myself and Bobby Roods and Eric Youngs and AJ Styles and Abysses, you know, I don't think they believe we belong there. But we were kind of like a bunch of renegades that said, hey, no, like we're going to go ahead and prove that we can put on a better show than you guys can. And then all of a sudden you see all of uh, – us start main eventing the the TNA weekly pay-per-views and then the TV shows. And then I think Jeff finally caught on saying, okay, I got to start going with these younger guys here because they're, you know, they're here busting their ass and and the audience is paying attention as well. Yeah. It was fun to watch as a fan. And, uh, you know, you really have to go out and work hard and, and sometimes in this business to make yourself known. And you guys all worked your butts off you and AJ, Bobby, Chris Harris, like I said, when um, you ch- when did the vibe at all change when you moved to Orlando and started doing the TV from there? I, it was funny because I think we all thought that we had made it. <laughs> we're like, yes, we've done it. But really, we <laughs> didn't. We're just, we just, we just in a different state, really. Kind of same size arena. Because uh, you, you, you got uh, to get on an airplane and stay in a hotel room that was booked by the uh, company. Right. <laughs> Like, I know, I know the like, feeling. We're really wrestlers now. <laughs> so, but no, it was, uh, it, I, I think the vibe even picked up more because, uh, you know, we, as soon as we go down to Orlando, I mean, those crowds were just crazy and just, just wild because I think at the, at the fairgrounds, they started just dying down a little bit just because they kind of seen everything live. Sure. You know, if you stay somewhere long enough, the crowd is, you know, they're not going to react as if you're when you're there the first time, plain and simple. And so when we're down in Orlando the first couple of months, I mean, we were just loving it because, I mean, you can you can just grab a headlock and they would go crazy. And, you know, as a wrestler, we're like, OK, this is this is fun uh, because it, it makes the bumps hurt a lot less. <laughs> Yeah, y'all were rock stars down there rocking the uh, Ale House after the uh, oh after Ale the House. <laughs> so, uh, talk to me about America's Most Wanted. How did that team come about, and uh, how was your was the chemistry instant with Chris Harris, or is it something you guys had to work on? Yeah, no, it, it was it was kind of weird because basically with 
uh, you know, with him and Bobby, the, the chemistry was there pretty quickly. I think just because we worked enough together uh, against each other, uh, especially when we was on the independent scene before TNA started up. Uh, and that's kind of how both of us got our jobs because we had a tryout match for TNA uh, on my birthday. And uh, and that night we came back and Bob Ryder told us that told us both that they'll be in touch with contract force. So just because of the match that we had there, or whatever, because we had, we shoot had uh, Don West believing that my leg was broke, you know, and Jeff was like, no, you have a lot to learn, <laughs> you have a lot to learn, <laughs> and uh, and uh, no, it was just one of those things. Is uh, you know, I, the quiz I always give a lot of people is who was my first tag team partner in TNA, and so many people say Chris Harris, and it wasn't. It was Psychosis. <laughs> psychosis. So, yeah, it was me and Psychosis versus the Johnsons, the guys that dressed up like the dicks oh. or whatever. Uh, uh, yeah, and so uh, and then they didn't really know what to do on the second show with either me or Chris. And I remember Bert went to Jeff and said, "Hey, just put them as a tag team once and see how they do or whatever." And uh, on the second show, they put us as a tag team, and and then that was it. Like we we were Harrison Storm for such a long time, and then we were we had went out the night before and got in a little bit of trouble and cops had come in and talked to us. And they said, uh, you guys keep this up and you're going to wind up on America's most wanted. And boom. I just looked at him and I, I said, boom, that's our name right there. <laughs> so, I love and, then, it. and then we just, we just kind of kept pushing forward. They didn't want to do it at first. And then finally Mike Mays just started calling us America's most wanted instead of storm and Harris. And then it just, it just kept going. <clears throat> That's awesome. Uh, were you guys when when they uh, split you up? Were you guys upset? Did you think it was time to to mix it up a little bit? How how was how did that go over? Well, the, the whole story that I heard was that had Chris had went to the office and said that he kind of wanted a singles run, uh, and which is fine. But you need you need to talk to your partner first about it. Sure. You know, uh, but you know, it's just and it's just one of the things. I was like, okay, well, whatever. I'll you know, I'll do my deal. I don't care. I, I believe in my talent enough. I can stand them on two feet. Um, and it was just one of those things. And then uh, I think that kind of fell flat for him. And then I, I just remember like WWE wanted both of us at the same time uh, is the word that we were getting. But my contract still had a year left on it, and his was up. And I was trying to get him to sign just for another year. And then we could have went together like they wanted, but he couldn't. He couldn't wait, and then he went, and then you know, then he became Braden Walker. <laughs> so yeah, he never quite recovered from from that run. Do you? Ha- I don't know if you guys still keep in touch at all, but do you have any? I mean, he was a talented guy, and uh, and he just never was able. His career really never, whatever, was able to recover. Any insight on on what happened? No, you know. You, you know how it is, you know, as they say up there, you know, it only takes one person to not really like you. And then that can be it. You know, one person in the right place and in the right power, then you'll never go anywhere, you know? And, and I think that might is what happened because a lot of people, if they don't know how to take Chris, they might always think he's grumpy or something. And he's not, that's just how Chris is, you know, with a lot of people, if you don't know how to take them, you might think negative of them or something. And, uh, and I, I think he just might've rubbed the, the wrong person wrong. And then, and then that was it. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, we still keep in contact here and there. So. So how did beer money come about and how did it compare to America? America's most wanted. It was, uh, it was almost exactly like how America's most wanted 
started. We were, uh, uh, we, me and Bobby were just doing single stuff at the time. And then, uh, Dutch came up and, uh, he goes, hell, we're going to put you boys together and see what you guys can do. You know, what can go wrong? A Canadian and a redneck together, blah, blah, you know, <laughs> how Dutch goes on about himself. Yeah. And, uh, we're like, all right. So it was the exact same thing for, you know, a couple of weeks, they kept calling us, uh, rude and storm. And, uh, I was like, man, we just got to come up with a tag team name. <clears throat> and, uh, we were actually sitting at the L house and, were you there when they had the pool table in the L house? Yeah. I, I mean, I remember yeah. when you guys came up with beer money, I wasn't there at the L house, but I remember the next day uh, when, uh, when you guys, when I was we, given the name. Yeah. And we were, we were, we were sitting in the L house and, uh, we were there we was by the pool table and there was a bunch of us. And, uh, and I, I, I was just sitting there and I looked at Bobby. I was like, Oh God, I ran out of beer money. And, uh, we just kind of looked at each other and then I said, Hey man, I said, that should be your name. And he's like, you got it. That's, that's, that's it. And we went to Jeff the next day and, uh, Jeff, he was kind of hesitant on it because I think they were kind of doing a deal with Walmart or somebody for some action figures or something. And, you know, they, they didn't know if they could put beer money on it. But then of course Dutch was like, hell yeah, we're going to try it out. Let's do it. Blah, blah, blah. You know? And so, and so, uh, and, and so, they didn't do it the first week, but I remember the first week I went to Jolene and I had her make me up some, just some stupid looking shirts that, that was iron on. It said beer money on it. And it said, put tag team belts here. And I cut the sleeves out of Bobby's and I, I did it in the pre-table. Like, look, man, here, I even got you a t-shirt. And he opened it up and said beer money on it. He goes, look like you made these yourself. I said, how can you tell? I said, I even cut the sleeves out on yours so you look bigger. <laughs> so, and, uh, and, 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 but they didn't know anything about the T-shirts or anything. And Dutch came back. And he goes, that, that was, I love that promo. And then that very next week is when we were able to start using the name Beer Money. Did you think it was going to get over the way it did? I, I, actually, I, I kind of did. But I, I remember me and Bobby sitting around and, Bobby said, we got to come up with something so stupid that the crowd will hate us because at the time we were healed. Right. And, right. uh, and, uh, and so that's how we came up with the beer money suplex. We said, let's just sit up there and go, uh, see how long we can do it before they start booing us. And then we'll do beer money. And, you know, it started working, but then a couple months goes by and it just starts getting over. Like the crowd just starts chatting it with us. We're like, okay, we're on to something. And I remember coming back and Dutch going, well, boys, I tell you what, we're trying to make you heels, but you keep this crap up. We're going to have to turn your baby faces. <laughs> and uh, and so, and, that, and that's what happened. You know, it wasn't too long after that, they, they turned this baby face. Do you have a preference as far as being a heel or a baby face? Uh, you, you know, with, with me and I always say with, with my charisma, like I, I'm, I'm better as a baby face, especially like, you know, in those years. But I think now with me getting – older and stuff i think i'm more suitable as a heel because i i know what it takes to be a baby face i know what it takes to make a baby face so I'm not, if i'm in there with a in there in the ring with a guy that they want to be a baby face i know what i can tell him to do and not do to help his career out how much easier is it to be a heel than a baby face do you think well i i, I these days it's it's a lot harder to be baby face than it is a heel i do sure. believe you know i i, I kind of it's hard to tell now because it's like almost like the the days of the baby face and heels are gone. It's like everybody wants to be the stone cold out there. Like everybody wants to be cheered and booed at the same time or whatever, you know, like nobody wants to be, 
the the chicken or you know or you know everybody wants to be the tough guy which is fine or whatever but that's kind of not how i came up on wrestling sure how i know how things changed for me when this happened i i ended up losing my gig uh but how did it change for you uh when uh hulk hogan and eric bischoff came in you know it was one of those things uh yeah uh because i remember we were sitting around and um and I remember on the on the first show when they came in, it was advertised Kurt Angle and AJ Styles, and also uh, Beer Money versus uh, British Invasion. Well, then Eric comes out, and we didn't even know this. Like we thought we were working British Invasion, but Eric comes out and like rips up the format like on live TV and says, "We're changing things up here," blah blah blah. And we're like, "Wait, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> we couldn't even be let in on this?" And like we were all dressed and everything, ready to go, and uh and then they started bringing in like these these other guys and stuff and just putting them ahead of us and at at first we're like wait a minute like we helped build this company like why are we getting pushed to the side you know when we were really the most over act as beer money in tna you know and also you had aj styles and kurt angle there and it was just one of those things it's like man like this ain't gonna be one of those well you have to prove yourself to me stuff guys because that's that's not going to happen and I think it was just one of those things where Eric put us in matches, and then I think he just became a fan of ours too. He's like, "Man, these the crowd loves these guys. These guys can go. You know, we're going to stick with these guys." So, so Ric Flair came in, and you guys created Fortune. Uh, tell me about your what what you thought of that group, and uh, I think TNA missed the ball a little bit on that. What do you agree? Yeah, they they missed the ball big time. I mean, I mean that it was it was starting to get over, and it was it was starting to like to me. I thought it was going to be over huge, and and to show you like how backwards TNA was at the time, it started to get over, and then they 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 stopped it. But I guess they didn't tell the merchandise people because the merchandise people made all this merchandise up for us. <laughs> so, so there's a lot of miscommunication, but I, I, I thought with that group, like it had a, it had some, some legs to run with for a while. I agree. Hey, I'd be remiss not to mention this to you because it's, uh, we talk about this segment a lot. And if people haven't seen it, I'd suggest if, if you listen to this podcast, you've probably seen it. But if not, I suggest you Google it. I probably watch it at least once a month when I have a couple of vodkas uh, on a, like a Saturday night at 2 a.m. I'm talking about the Ric Flair, Jay Lethal uh, segment. Uh, how hard was it? How, how hard was it not to laugh being in the ring with that segment? Uh, if you watch all the other guys in the ring, we're turning around every yeah. few seconds just, just laughing so hard. Like, it was just unreal because I just remember Ric Flair just telling Jay, like, let's just go out there and have fun and, and do this and, then, you know, and just whatever comes to mind. And, and then when we're all out there and they just start doing that, we're like, this could go on all night long. Like, this segment is going to go over a lot. <laughs> so, but it was just like you say, it was one of those things where we had to keep turning around just because – you couldn't keep a straight face at all, at all. Yeah, there's a famous, I compare it to, a, there's a uh, famous segment. You ever, do uh, you remember the show Taxi, the TV show Taxi? Yes. And there's a character named Reverend Jim who's sort of all drugged out. Yep, yep. Well, they there's a famous segment where they took him to take his driver's license test because they were getting him to be a cab driver. And uh, and he says, uh, he tries to cheat and he, he, he yells to the, the little group, 
you know, he's sitting in the chair and he yells to the group or he whispers to the group, what does a yellow light mean? And they're like mortified and they're like, slow down. And he goes, okay, what <laughs> does a, and it goes on. And I remember hearing stories about how they had to like stab themselves with a pencil to stick, to keep from laughing. It's one of the funniest scenes in television history. And I always, when I, it's totally has one has nothing to do with the other, but I think of, of, of you guys being in the ring, having to, you know, take that all in and try to keep a straight face and be the heels. So it's, it's crazy. Like how, that segment has just now came back to light and like how many people are just now seeing it for the first time, you know, and just because uh, I, I get asked about it a lot as well. Yeah. Like I said, I probably watch it at least once, once a month with a buzz uh, at about four in the morning. So it's, it, it it's much, it's it, as good as the segment is. It's even better watching it four in the morning with a, with a, about five vodkas in you. But that's just my <laughs> opinion. So you get one shot at the, TNA world title. It was very short lived. Uh, was there any explanation given to you as why the brev- uh, brevity of the, 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 you know, it's almost like they built it up and then they took it away. And I, sometimes I just didn't get it, but then. Yeah, I heard uh, my, my whole thing that I heard, you know, it's not confirmed or whatever. It was just politics really. So, but you know, I always look at it like it is what it is. Uh, I always say, like, I don't really care to be champion. Like, if I'm champion, cool, but they don't ever ask me when I go to the bank if I'm a champion or not. So <laughs> that's how I look at it. <laughs> well, absolutely. But, I mean, like like you said, it was just one of those things. It's like I, I think we could have got a lot more out of that than it, it just seemed like it was a shotgun rushed, and, you know, it is what it is. So you left uh, in TNA for a while. Tell me about that. What was your reason for leaving and uh, was it a hard decision? No, first, no. You know, the first time you it, left. Yeah, uh, you know, it, it wasn't really a hard decision. Uh, I just, I just felt like I was just turning my wheels a little bit, and and so I just, I just, actually, I just wanted to take some time off, and and that's what I was going to do. But then I, uh, I get a call to just come down to NXT and uh, talk, and and then bring my stuff, you know? And so I was like, okay. So I went down there and they said, you want to wrestle? I'm like, sure, of course I'm here. So I went out there and wrestled. I came back and I talked to Hunter and stuff. And, uh, and he's like, all right, well, we'll be in touch or whatever. And then I don't know, it was two or three months later, I get another call. Hey, we want you to come back down to Orlando to talk some more. I said, okay. So I grabbed my stuff and went back down to Orlando and had, had another match. And then I came back and, uh, at this time, TNA had had sent me an offer too, and uh, and so I had to, I sat there and I talked to Hunter, and it was just one of those things where I had some personal problems at home, just kind of going on or whatever. Because uh, my wife, she wanted to have another kid, but it was one of those things where she had to take the shots and all this stuff, and you know we had to have sex when the moon touched the sand and the you know all that stuff or whatever. And so, and he was just telling me how how many shows they were going to run. And I had even talked it over with my wife. And, um, you know, if it was, it was one of those things where I went to Hunter and I said, look, this is the, this is the deal that, that TNA is offering me right here. And I showed it to him and he was like, man, he's like, look, he goes, I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. He goes, but if, if I was someone kind of in your position, he goes, I would take that deal because it's guaranteed money. Uh, 
he goes, and get yourself in the best shape you can and call me back as soon as this deal's over with and let's try to work something out. And, and, and I always thought, always thought that was super cool of him. You know, you always heard different stories about Hunter and stuff. And I even talked, talked to road dog after I said, you know, he could have been full of crap. He goes, no, man, he wasn't. He goes, he goes, he thought you was a stand up guy to come in and say, look, this is, this is what they're offering me. And this is, here it is right here in writing. And, uh, and I said, yeah, I said, is it like, I, you know, I don't mind wrestling. Like that's what I want to do. But at the same time, you know, and he said, just get your crap together, get in better shape and come back. And I said, all right. And so, uh, and so, you know, I signed back with Impact and, and was doing their stuff. And it was basically a three-year deal. With a, it was a two-year with a one-year option where we had to agree on it. And it was just kind of one of those things where middle of the second year, I just was like, this, this is just not it. You know, like I, I, I had only wrestled, I think, like 71 times in, in two years, which, you know, which I'm sorry, but if I owned a company and I was paying someone guaranteed money, they'd be doing something on every show, you know? Sure. And, uh, and, and it wasn't that I, uh, you know, I just felt kind of like misunderused, you know, like there was so much more that they could have done with me. Uh, but you know, at the end, you know, we, we shook hands and we said, Hey, you know, you never know, especially in the wrestling business, you know, and I wish them best of luck. And I always say, look, I always wish impact the best of luck because it gives the guys another place to work. Uh, but you know, it was just, it was just my time to go. So. Yeah. So you've seen over the last, uh, a couple of years, few years, uh, you know, for the longest time, if it was almost like if you were in TNA, you couldn't get into WWE. And now you got AJ Styles up as one of the top guys. You got, uh, Bobby Roode has a good spot. Eric Young, um, I'm not quite sure exactly what's going on with them. Uh, do you, do you, when you see some of the guys doing really well and some of the guys, you know, kind of, uh, falling through the cracks, uh, do you worry about possibly going back there or you, is that something you would consider just to, to see where, where it all shakes out? No, you know, it's one of those things, like I was talking about with Chris Harris, I believe in my talent enough that I can stand on my own two feet, uh, there because I always look at like, uh, Vince McMahon to me is more of a, a character type wrestler guy. Like he loves these, especially he loves the big guys with, you know, that are characters. Uh, and, and to me, I am a character. That's what I like. I can, I can go out there and wrestle, but I, I, I love to entertain. I love to go out there, but I see myself more like wanting to do stuff. If I was to go back with, with NXT to be able to go out there and help these guys to, you know, learn how to wrestle on TV with time cues and camera angles and, and all that stuff. Like to me, that, that, that seems more fun to me because I hear a lot of the guys that are, you know, on the Raws or SmackDowns, you know, saying, man, like it was so much fun in NXT and because it kind of reminds me of the older TNA days, like back when you have these guys from the, from the Indies and stuff that are there to prove that they belong just as well as the top guys do. It just seems like they have so many guys, especially now that they that they, they just have even with three hours and two hours, you just have such a limited time. So you look at a guy like EC3, who, you know, uh, I think has incredible talent, especially on the microphone. And, you know, they're yeah. just throwing throwing them in little segments and stuff like that. And, you know, 
I, you'd have to think that it's frustrating, but yeah, at the end of the day, they're, they're, you know, I don't know. I'm not in people's heads. You know, I don't know if they, if they say crap, this sucks, or if they say, hell, I'm making great money in the biggest wrestling company in the world, traveling the world and, uh, and living my dream. So it's always interesting, but, uh, there's never any guarantees there. Hey, let me ask you about Dixie Carter before we wrap things up. Uh, what were your thoughts of her and, and did they change as, as time progressed? Uh, you know, they, to me, they never really, they, they never really changed. Like I always loved Dixie because I always thought that she, uh, I mean, she, she cared about her wrestlers. Like if anybody really had a problem, like they can go to her and, and she would talk to them and she would try to figure out a way, or, you know, she would talk to creative with them to try to figure out maybe a different path for them. Uh, you know, or even financial stuff like Dixie to me, Dixie didn't mind sitting down and talking with wrestlers. And I, I don't know how Vince McMahon is, but I don't know if he's like that. Uh, but it was just one of those things where I know that anytime I could have called Dixie and be like, Hey, this, this is going on, this is going on, this is going on. And, and she would try to fix it. So, and, and I, I can't say anything, but you know, positive things about Dixie because, you know, she, to me, she did her best and did everything in her power to keep TNA going as long as she could. And it's still going today. How locked in? You don't <laughs> seem like a guy who worries about the stuff you can't control, and I respect that, especially in this business. Uh, how locked in were you when uh, when when they were going through all the problems with they didn't know if they were going to have the money to get a pay-per-view truck two days before a pay-per-view and stuff like that? Uh, did you just show up and say, hey, if, it, they, if we go, I'm going to go, and if not, I'll go home? Or uh, was that something that uh, weighed on you? No, you, you know, yeah, it's just like that, like, I'm I'm the type of guy like if if it happens it happens if it don't it don't like there's I can only control what I can control like n- n- none of this outside stuff so I don't let it bother me and like you said it was one of those things where you know I got worried about it and it's it's like if the truck shows up fine let's let's freaking let's get this pay per view on but if not then I guess I'm gonna go over here to Universal Theme Park and go ride some rides you know <laughs> and <laughs> that then, was the and best then- thing about being down there. <laughs> uh, and then go to Ale House and go have some drinks. Right. Exactly. And, you know, c- congratulations to you because there's so many guys, and I, I have to say that I was included, especially in WCW, who worried about stuff they couldn't control. And, and it's a good good personality trait to have to be in the position you're in in a crazy business because uh, you could drive yourself nuts worrying about stuff that is totally out of your hands. And so many guys do, uh, as you as well, you know. They do. And that's one of my things is like, People are like, oh, when you coming to WWE? When you coming to WWE? Well, okay, well, that's not up to me. Like, I did my part. I got in shape. I'm ready to go. Like, I'm doing shows every weekend, you know, two or three times a weekend sometimes. And it's just one of those things where I would drive myself crazy if I'm sitting here all the time wondering if they're going to call. Like, I can't wonder about that. I just got to go out and, and do me. Place, you know, I just got to do what I can control. So many places to go right now. Uh, it's really a great time to be a free agent. Uh, <laughs> uh, you have uh, All Elite Wrestling, who, as we taped this, just tagged uh, JR uh, as part of their company. And uh, you got Ring of Honor, who's about to do their first show and is sold at Madison Square Garden. You got New Japan Pro Wrestling and, of course, NXT and WWE. Uh, if, you, if, you could pick, if you could pick the the one that you think would be the most interesting, do you have a preference or you just – go wherever they want you and the money's right. Yeah. You know, uh, to me, it's not, you know, people can talk about money all they want, but to me, it's not really about 
the the money right now is it's really about just having fun and 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 basically trying to give back to to the company like i'm not out to try to be you know the giant champion or like i don't really care about all that my job is to try to make the show the best i can with the little that i'm given plain and simple and to me i can see myself especially fitting in with a company like uh, like nxt or aew that's about to start up because they have a lot of guys in there and to me that all wrestle kind of the similar style you know this go 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 but to me that only appeals to a certain amount fan base you know and they'll need a couple guys sprinkled in here throughout their show to be able to slow these guys down maybe just a little bit to be able to kind of tell a story you know Sure. It seems like almost everybody has the same uh, speed, except for then you look at Chris Jericho and you see somebody who's, on a, you know, on a different level. And it seems like they could use more Chris Jericho's to, like you said, to, to, to change the speed a little bit from 100 miles an hour down to uh, 50 miles an hour. Well, hey, I appreciate your time, uh, James Storm. You've been on my bucket list to have on here for a while, and uh, <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad we got you. And uh, appreciate your honesty. Good luck in the future, and uh, I will see you at the Legends of Wrestling show on April the 20th in Detroit, Michigan. And uh, you looking forward to that? Yeah, man. I said uh, that's a that's a pretty stacked card. So anybody who's around that area, you got to come check that out. But I, I mean. They even have David Arquette on the show. Come on. <laughs> I was going to say, David Arquette's looking for a match. You have any interest? Well, no. I heard Ken Anderson would have wants to beat the crap out of him, though. I mean, but, you know, if they want to stick me in there with David Arquette, I'll, I'll beat him up, too. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Hey, great talking to you, and uh, we'll see you up in Detroit. All right, brother. Thank you very much, fans. I appreciate it, bro. I want to thank Cowboy James Storm. Looking forward to seeing him at the Legends of Wrestling event on April the 20th in Detroit, Michigan. If you don't have your tickets already, be sure to log on uh, to the social media platforms of the Legends of Wrestling on Twitter or on Facebook or on Instagram. And they'll direct you right to where you need to go to meet guys like Ric Flair and Booker T and Rikishi. You know, I've never met Rikishi. Jared, you know that? Never met Rikishi. So I'm looking forward to meeting Rikishi and uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan and, and Booker T and, and so many. And David Arquette, like, uh, like James Storm was just talking about. He's looking for a match with somebody, so you never know. I think he's trying to pick one with Kenny Anderson, maybe uh, the wrong move. Or maybe, uh, maybe James Storm said he'd throw his hat in the ring, so to speak. So uh, I want to thank James, and I know he doesn't do a lot of these. And I really respect the fact that he doesn't let the small sweat the small stuff. It, I, you don't understand, unless you've been in this business, how easy it is to sweat the small stuff that you can't control. Uh, it, 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 you know, there's so many rumors and innuendos and, 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 and things that you hear. And, you know, you, you're, you know, because you are making a living and living your dream, some people are just making a living and don't care. Some people are living their dream and making a living. There's actually probably some people who don't get paid a lot of money who are just living their dream. God bless them. But when you're invested like that, uh, you know, your, your livelihood and continuing the ride of living your dream hangs on, on a lot of different uh, things. And, you know, the internet and social media and, and Twitter certainly exemplifies those things. You know, in the old days, you wouldn't have known if uh, TNA was... 24 hours away from being able to get the funds to secure a television truck. But now in the days of 
Facebook and Internet and Twitter, uh, everybody knows that. So, you know, it's very easy to get wrapped up uh, in the small stuff and in the uh, minutiae being in this business. And I respect a guy like James Storm. And it's really a good lesson to try to, you know, it's hard not to uh, get yourself uh, involved but if you, but if you can can if you could uh, let it all go in one ear and out the other and say I love the quote if we got a TV truck we're going to do a pay per view if not I'm gonna go ride the rides at Universal Studios great quote and uh, it's a it's a valuable 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 lesson for people in the business to try to take and uh, hey I know personally it's not always easy to follow uh, again looking forward to talking to Charles Robinson. Uh, next week. Uh, excited for that. We're going to talk about Little Nate's. We'll talk about the transfer from uh, WCW into WWE and and his... I think he's been in the business 30, 35 years. That's crazy to me. And uh, and still goes hiking and does... Uh, healthy people drive me crazy. I swear. I, I walk up the stairs and I'm blown up. But that's for another day, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we'll talk also next weekend about uh, my thoughts on WrestleMania weekend, the experiences that I had, and uh, who we might have been able to coerce to be a future guest on this podcast called City Ringside. And until next week, I'm David Penzer, still City Ringside. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles and DJ Eakin, news and political pundits like Law and Crime Network's Vincent Hill, and independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crochelle. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, No matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.